Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You are tuned in listening to United to the Moose. This is the Cinematic Odyssey. I'm your host, co-host, um, one half of the Cinematic Odyssey, Tristan here. Alongside with me, I got Max. Um, it's been a bit of a quite of a eventful week for me. That's why I couldn't record last week, unfortunately. But that's why there's a bit of a delay for this episode. But we're here now. So that's... shame, shame. I know. Sorry, sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. Though. Hopefully, um, hopefully too. This uh, recording sounds better too, audio wise, because we said goodbye to Zoom and hello to Discord. So yeah, <laughs> we, we're it's a new age. It's a new technical technical new technological age, and bad same bad words. Still can't speak English. <laughs> Big thumbs up there. Yeah, yeah, because I was uh, you know. Listening back to to our our episodes, the the audio quality is not that good. You know, if so, they decide to uh, if they decide to trash us for it, yeah, that's on us. <laughs> but even then, like I don't know, it's a pet peeve. Uh, it's a pet peeve of mine. I want the audio yeah. the audio to be as as pristine as possible. But either way, uh, we're here to talk about um, a film by filmmakers that we've already covered. This is the the Daniels, Daniel Shiner and Daniel Kwan who made um one of the most popular films of last year that is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And uh this is their direct feature length debut, I believe, right? Uh mm-hmm. Swiss Army Man, which uh features Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. As a sort of like absurdist play on uh, Castaway, sort of, I but a lot, a lot more, uh, yeah, absurd and original. I would say. I agree. Yeah, I think it it it's very very similar to everything everywhere all at once in the wackiness and the craziness and just kind of the creativity and weirdness that they kind of get into which like i really respect and i really love that that it's not just like oh let's just make the weirdest thing we can possibly do and then hope that maybe it wins best picture at the oscars no that this is like their style Mm. which I, i i really i like i appreciate it yeah, I mean, watching it back, I well, watching it back, watching it yesterday, it was um, yeah, it was a bit like, yeah, this is uh, it seems like they were playing around with the originality and like kind of the absurd. How far can they take this absurdist angle with comedy and from a visual perspective and from a, a writing perspective? How far can they take it? Um, and I think they were kind of just like playing around with it because, you know, in their last film, they just went balls to the wall with that idea and just ran with it. They they literally threw everything 
at the wants and you know they saw what stuck or stuck or whatever yeah um and yeah then everything everywhere all at once was just kind of the product of that um taking that that idea of like doing whatever comes to mind because that's kind of what happens in this film but it's a little bit more contained i think um given the context yeah. and the setting of the film and and where it happens and what is going on because there's no like multi-dimensional like multiverse anything like that it's not as bizarre or as crazy as yeah. um their last film gets which i i kind of i i i like i appreciate that it's not as uh overwhelming I mean, I would argue that this this film is just as absurd and just as comedic and just as philosophical as Everything Everywhere All at Once, except Everything Everywhere All at Once applies that to the science fiction genre, whereas that um, Swiss Army Man is more, I guess, could be a comedy, it could be a romance, we could look at it as a um, as kind of a drama. And, uh, uh, you know, a coming-of-age piece, almost, even though Paul Dano doesn't really grow as much as he kind of just comes to terms with how he's lived his life, which is, I mean, very similar to Ikaru in that, in that standpoint. But the ability to make these kind of ordinary events weird and kind of really lampoon the comedy out of it and the the just absolute strangeness i think is really really clever especially with making people interested in watching because i was very interested in watching it because it's it's like it's deus ex machina over and over again with a corpse like that was very i thought that was really cool hmm I see. And uh I can you Deus Ex Machina? I mean, when I, th- I hear that I think of well there's a game called that. There's a video game. Okay. And then there's the film Ex Machina, but is that like cuz have, have you seen Ex Machina? Before? I've not, but okay. Deus Ex Machina like the plot what is device. That? What is that? Yeah, what is that? What does that mean again? I'm not very uh, familiar. God by machine, literally, um, which is basically the characters get saved somehow with no like real inexplicable reason. It's just they magically get the solution to win. They didn't fight for it. They didn't use their smarts and outsmart the villain. They it just kind of happens, like okay. um, it just sort of happens that um. Manny's body is farting immensely uh, to spark the idea in Hank's head. Maybe uh, I can ride him like a jet ski out to another, to Homeland. You know, Hank is like, God, I'm thirsty. I can't keep dragging you around. I can't do this. Water then comes from Manny's mouth. That's sort of 
there's no really reason for it other than it's not like caused by an action or caused by something. It's just kind of happening to provide a solution to the problem. And it it works really well. Like it's super clever, I think, mm-hmm. in in how that works. What with the the uh compass um and uh gosh, what else? The catapult, the blowgun, um the I guess you could even say the flamethrower at the end. Like oh, it's, oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's I think that's so clever and creative and, and special the way that they kind of just flake that in there and also are able to tell a meaningful story. Which Oh yeah. It, it's that's I think that's hard to do. No, most definitely. I mean um I mean for me I think I don't know. I like the novelty of of those things happening. You know the the reveal of um. Oh my god! What's Paul Dano's character's name? Hank. Hank. Yes, Hank. <laughs> Can't forget, leave. I forgot that Hank. When he when he finds out. Oh wait. Hmm. Maybe we could use Manny. Uh, as a gen scheme. <laughs> so funny <laughs> uh and then like the, you know i had the same reaction each new time or each new like thing that he used manny for and i thought that was so funny uh yeah and then it got, and then it's like that's like kind of the crude humor nature of of this film mm-hmm. of of manny's character and you know, for a, a a good portion of it, I think I was I was in the the mindset like, oh wait, maybe he won't talk at all. And I was I was yeah. interested to see if they were gonna actually take it to that length and have him not speak, because that would have been interesting. It would have been literally like Castaway, but instead of a ball, it'd be a a thing that can do whatever it seems like that Hank needs it to do. And it's a human being that's like seemingly dead. Yep. And uh, yeah, and he's just trying to get back to home. And then, you know, we're working off the assumption that Hank is in love with somebody. And this person knows Hank. Yeah. Uh, no. And then, and then uh,. <laughs> He uses he uses Manny as like a, a tool to f- to figure out like as a compass and the you know the the compass itself is is pretty intriguing and funny. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what can we say that like is radio friendly? Because we just say oh he, well Manny's tool, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah and um he yeah the compass and how it's like it's kind of brought out by manny feeling love and affection yeah that's what we'll like, call it the feeling of love <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> uh yes don't you just love it when you feel love 
<laughs> yeah, when he gets the, but- the butterflies in his in his tummy. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then that, and then, but uh, yeah, I mean, Hank. I I don't know. I thought I thought maybe the film was gonna take it that way, but I think um. Maybe it wouldn't have been as interesting if that was the case. If Manny didn't speak at all and he was just kind of like this prop that was used by Hank as an end to a mean or a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, And I think having Manny being able to feel things and and speak. um, Yeah. Which, I mean, is. I think is expected given he is a human being, but for a long period of time, which throughout the film, you're thinking, okay, he's not going to speak at all, I guess. Yeah. But then he starts to speak. Um, and I think what that does, the, um, the, he's almost like born again. He, he doesn't really have the greatest understanding or memory of what the world was like. He's just kind of knowing what Hank tells him. And so that kind of relationship of learning everything for the first time and but still having the ability to kind of say, I think that that's weird. I think that that's that doesn't make any sense. That's messed up. What do you mean? I can't you can't just talk to people. What do you mean? You can't just, um, you know, tell somebody how you feel or just talk to your dad or just love somebody. Like, it's the Manny being able to speak forces Hank to actually reason out why he does what he does, or rather doesn't do what he doesn't do. Uh, if he if he's just with the inner monologue and lugging a dead body around, he's not confronting that at all. He's just kind of like, yep, this is the product of my choices, and now I have a tool who looks like Harry Potter. And <laughs> instead, he actually has to reason out, this is why I don't do this, or this is why I do this. And it forces him to kind of realize that this, the way that he has lived his life is unfulfilling and poor and wasted, pretty much. Yeah. Which, I, I love the decision to switch away from, like, a silent mm-hmm. film of, like, just Paul Dino monologuing. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it brings out uh, Hank's kind of inner turmoil and projecting those things onto onto Manny is to kind of make Manny guide him back home. Because ultimately, that's kind of the goal, and it's and it's kind of revealed towards the end of the film what his true intentions are i suppose but then then he and then, yeah, and then we like find out more of the truth behind the person that hank loves mm-hmm. and because then you know we see hank like make um we see him make manny or he 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 kind of convinces Manny that this girl is a person that Manny was in love with in the past or whenever he's lost his memory or whatever right and um 
yeah like the in the the way that he does that the way that hank does that is so i mean it's very impressive um with like uh how he builds all these extravagant sets with a bunch of trash and like wood sticks and and all that found in the forest uh, it's pretty yeah. pretty fascinating and um um yeah I mean, very, very. I, that's that's like seeing seeing like the set design of the film is pretty, um, pretty incredible from that perspective. Considering like what most of it, most most of the film takes place in a forest, and yeah. and the only things available to them is like trash and wood, and that's it. So right, but yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess we can get into the I mean, yeah, get into Hank as a character. God, and his whole dilemma. His the first two minutes of him on screen are gorgeous. <laughs> I love it so much. Like. He is attempting suicide. Like we, we, we have to say, like that. That's it's not funny that he is attempting suicide. However, once he sees Manny on the beach and decides, nope, I gotta see what this what this dude is go- doing, and if I can help him, and if I can save him. And the second that he decides, well, I have something, one more thing to do before I die. He then starts to hang himself unintentionally, falls off his little cooler, and you know, thank God that rope was flimsy. <laughs> yeah, because it broke. Oh man! And then yeah, he walks up to him. He sees he's just farting. Yeah. Yeah, he's just farting. And um, and then he takes his belt. what's that? And then he takes his belt. Oh yeah, he takes his bell and uses then... that to hang himself. <laughs> Part two. Except the second time he actually gets his head out of the loop. Yeah, because because but... Manny was Manny was spazzing out. Man was like having a seizure. Yeah, dude was losing it. And then Hank was like, "Hmm, what what can I do here? What, what what's going on here?" <laughs> mounts him <laughs> and then he mounts him on his back and uses him as a freaking speedboat <laughs> and the soundtrack it's so funny is just, it's funny and then the soundtrack is just majestic acapella Paul Dano oh that's right that's right too yeah it's so good <laughs> the way that it's edited so seamlessly too because he makes yeah. the the sounds of his voice, and then it like is getting added on top of it, like as layers. <laughs> That's oh my gosh, that that part killed me. And then he and then he pulled his like pants down, so he could get more power out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and the best, the like the best thing is because we don't see it later on. Uh. Uh, Manny is talking about 
was was it sex when you put the cork up my butt? <laughs> because that's stopping the gas from leaking out of him. It's like just turning off the engine. <laughs> which is so funny. Because it's like completely innocuous and like a passing remark. But like, he did that, didn't he? He he decided. Yep. No, we have to we have to stop the gas from leaking out because yeah. what if we need to use it later? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's such the it's such a human way to deal with such a weird problem. Oh, most definitely. And uh, but like, it's <laughs> it's just so I don't know. It's just so like. Because he doesn't stop, you know? He just is on fart time unlimited. Like, he's on just farting for indefinitely. He just doesn't stop. Yeah. And it won't ever stop. <laughs> and, like, it's kind of like... um, I mean, not to... Well, I, I guess... Well, I've seen the movie if they're here. I mean, hey, I mean, I mean, we see at the end when Hank is like beginning to to rumble down below, and yep. um, and he's and he starts farting. <laughs> um, yeah. it's like, is he becoming Manny? Like, what does like Manny represent? You know, I I have an idea. And I think part of it stems from an interpretation that I've got of where he is to begin with. Mm -hmm. Because nothing that, um, nothing about Hank, nothing about his upbringing suggests to me that he is a particularly avid uh, boater or seaman or anything like that. Like, I don't think that he goes on the water often. So, for him to say that he ran away would basically mean... I, I take the entire first scene of him on the island, I want to take that as being completely symbolic. Of mm. having pushed yourself to the last brink on, on life without ever actually having given yourself a chance. Mm. You, he's isolated himself, he's put himself away, he's not allowed himself to live... And he is th thus wanted to get rid of, you know, himself. And so now he sees this guy and he, I, I feel like it's a little bit more of like a the saving grace that allows him to keep living, which is this person needs help more than I do, which is a very, very human thing to put your own needs aside for the needs of others. Very, very um, compassionate, altruistic. Um, but because the, they, they wash up on shore, and it's, it's the same shore that they end up at outside of um, Sarah's house. It's very close. They don't go very far. They're not lo lost in the massive expanse of a wilderness or a deserted island. They're like five minutes in somebody's backyard. <laughs> and it, it's it's i i see that as like the willingness to be 
lost and the willingness not to want to confront the world or people or anybody with your issues and with your feelings. The, the, the motivation to just keep it all up in a little bottle inside and then one day you'll die without ever having, you know, said how you felt or done something meaningful or done something because you wanted to, but rather you're doing it because you, you feel you have to, it's your duty. Um, I do this for, you know, the generic reasons, a good job or better schooling or better family or better, better life, better house, stuff like that. Yeah. Manny is that kind of rejection of the social norms and the box that Hank has put himself in is kind of what I see. And by kind of accept, like they, again, they push it comedically because you kind of have to, otherwise it's a, a dark drama about not opening up and pushing yourself into a corner until you mm. commit suicide in the thirties. Yeah. Like Manny says, uh, he he has that quote. My best friend won't fart around me. Like, it's a funny line, and it's also like the philosophical point of you won't people won't share intimate details or private things about themselves with others. They're way more interested in keeping all that to themselves, and. N- dispelling and having nothing to do with that human connection, which is Hank's whole problem and why he's got Sarah's picture, because he feels these things, but he could never possibly tell her these things. And so he, rather than say them and lose a person that he sees on the bus, he keeps this fantasy going and this, you know, unrequited pining going. Just because. No, 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 no. Finish your thought, finish your thought. Like, he keeps that unrequited pining going kind of just because he can. It's better than the alternative of rejection, of loss, and of growth, maturity, Mm -hmm. evolution. Yeah. You can't move on, and, and you have to go through pain to find somebody else, but you don't want to go through that pain. And so we're just stuck on somebody who will not love him back. Yeah, and, um, you know, he... And that's kind of what I was alluding to with the way that he makes Manny this kind of projection of himself where he 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 puts his own feelings onto Manny. Yeah. And then he plays the role as, as Sarah. Um to Manny and yeah that's, that's good yeah that's nice and, I didn't um, get that yeah well he does I mean he literally like dresses up as Sarah yeah yeah but I didn't I didn't draw that conclusion from that that's great like he does yeah I mean yeah when he builds like the bus yep. and he's doing all these I mean aside from like the Sarah parts but like you know when he shows Manny like what it feels like to look out the window and see the world or I don't know, to drive and all that. But like I mean and like putting in the the, the earbuds for yeah. the music. <laughs> like it trying to build this 
serene image of of the world that Hank kind of he existed in without mm-hmm. the without the pain of that that feeling of like oh longing for for being with Sarah because I think what he does he crafts this perfect world for Manny and that's like the world that he you know fantasizes about and that he wants but it's not what he can get you know going out with Sarah like doing all these things with Sarah yeah um cuz i mean before the reveal like at least to me i was thinking that it was actually true like what he was doing yep with with Manny like the you know me those too. things that he did with Manny, I was thinking, oh, that's from, like, his memory. And that it's actually, like, those are the things that he, Hank and Sarah did before he, like, was abandoned. Or, I don't know, he got lost, whatever. Um, But, yeah, and then that wasn't actually the case. <laughs> yeah. But that makes, that makes it so sad, though. It makes it so sad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, poor Hank. If I'm honest, like I, I even love the idea of Manny just being able to say whatever he wants and having no filter, mm-hmm. because that's again another thing that Hank can't do. And you, you, you said it. I mean, he puts himself, puts Manny in his own shoes, uh, as the confident I can say whatever I want because and not be afraid of the consequences, which you know. Was the whole reason that he's in this spot, like the e the e birthday card with dad? Oh, that's yeah. like heartbreaking. Yeah, like that's horrible. Yeah, I mean... like I mean, I, I, I got nothing more to say about that. Like, that, that's, it's so depressing that, like, and, and it's the fact, it's not the fact that they both would forget. It's the fact that he set it up for his dad to send to him. And then he also <laughs> set one up to send to his dad. That's right. Oh, and even, well. Is it, and it's the very same relationship with his father as it is with, um, Sarah, you can't say how you feel, and therefore we're in this pit, this rut, this I won't say anything, and he won't say anything, and we just bond through our silence and our stoicism. (laughs) Isn't that how we all do it? Wait, is that not how we all do it? Wait. I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting this in. This is how we all do it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. sad, and the only kind of, like, happiness that Hank ever gets is with Manny. Because, again, I think, yeah, he kind of uses Manny as a... I mean, a literal tool yep. to to survive. I mean, that's one aspect, but also to kind of play out his own feelings of happiness when he what he hopes for 
Um, yeah. But, like, there's no growth that's really happening for him, I don't think. Given the ending and how it ends, I don't think there's much growth. Maybe there is, but... I mean... This is a sentence you'll never hear me say again. There's symbolism in a fart. <laughs> I, I I think I've just disappointed the face that you, you just made. <laughs> the fact that Hank farts on the beach while the officer is trying to handcuff him. Why they're handcuffing him, I don't really understand. Yeah, that, that made no sense. I don't we get why they're like arresting him. Is it just because he's like feral and was out in the woods with a dead body? <laughs> I mean, like, probably. Like, the idea that it's all a kind of a fever dream and that, you know, he's the only one who can see Manny move on his own. Oh, maybe. Or, or be do have all these uses because it's his imagination, his world doing all of this. Oh, but, like, yeah. the idea that he's brought something from that out. Like, he's actually letting his fart out in front of other people, which is that, you know crude but wonderful symbol of sharing personal feelings, personal uh, experience with other people, no matter, you know, not being really being afraid of the pain, but just kind of focusing on what positive can come from that. Maybe it's a good, better relationship with his father. Maybe it's a not restraining order from Sarah or something like that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you can't just end up in her backyard send have your dead friend talk to her daughter (laughs) (laughs) she's so traumatized she's so doomed (laughs) that that poor child oh my god and yeah that's the reveal too that's that that was pretty shocking for me and i was like wait a second hank's a creep hold on huh Uh oh uh oh. But I mean, yeah, and even the reveal of him him admitting it on the news is a massive step towards living living like Manny. Yeah, like more. I don't know. Like it's not like he doesn't care. Manny, I think. I guess what the way. Ignoring, like, all the the physical attributes that he has. I guess taking it, f- interpreting those things and saying maybe that Manny likes, oh, yes, the fart. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that he attributes that to, yeah, opening up, sharing your feelings. Because I know I... Manny does have a rant, right? He kind of goes on a tangent about, like, why don't you share your feelings? Or, like, why don't people... Yeah, right? Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the same thing about talking about my friend Hank thinks about his mom when, you know, pleasing himself. because And he doesn't do it because... he He doesn't make himself happy because... It makes him think of his mom. I just want him to be happy. That yeah. I, I don't. I think that's a different monologue, but it's that's it's. I think it's a similar. 
Yeah, and I think Manny is like kind of this um I kind of I mean, is it similar? No, not really. To like the conclusions in everything everywhere all at once that um the conclusion that's taken by what's her what's her name? Evelyn no, uh, I mean, yeah. Or um, the daughter, Joy. The I think the daughter. Oh, I mean, like, not really. No, because that's. I mean, they kind of take on the. The idea of like. Nihilism, sort of. Yeah. Although Manny's different, I think Manny isn't. His like character personified isn't really nihilism. He's sort of. I mean, do you, I don't know, do you disagree? I see it, I, I think they both have that optimistic nihilism. Yeah. I mean, with everything, everywhere, all at once, it's more of, nothing really matters, therefore we should do what makes us happy. Um, yeah, that's, well, that's what I mean, like the nihilistic yeah. aspect of that, that thought process. Because it is, that is nihilism. Like, nihilism is nothing matters, the world is bleak, there is no point to living. Yeah. It's not true nihilism because it's not like that, but they, they do say, yeah, there's no point, but also, uh, we, there are things that we can enjoy while we're here. That's, right. that could be, what if that's just the point? And so, like with Manny, it's, it's more... It's not just massive life choices. It's more our relationships with people. So, like, okay. if Swiss Army Man is interpersonal relationship, everything everywhere is the way we live our lives. Mm. Okay, that's, yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. That's a good, that's a good uh, interpretation, I think. And, like, I I can't help but think of like and this is like the weirdest thing to be thinking of because it's totally like I think it's kind of off off the wall Voltaire's short like philosophical book Candide hmm. I I think of that just because like he wrote this whole philosophical story about this sweet young boy named Candide and his 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 happy go lucky travels just to diss on his like philosophical opponent um by saying okay this world that this character is living in is the best of all possible worlds and then every single chapter afterwards just something horrible happens to him like he gets dismembered or his friends die or his you know his wife gets um abducted or hurt or abused his parents get killed you know everything horrible happens to it and he's just like well this is the best of all possible worlds so hey it could be way worse <laughs> and he just kind of goes through and they kind of just decide at the end well we're, we're just gonna live and and let what happens happen which is like I, I I think it's similar in just the sense of we're gonna we're gonna carry on, yeah, and we'll let this wacky world keep spinning, 
a world in which Guy Fieri exists. <laughs> you know, a world in which Lightning McQueen Crocs exist. <laughs> a world in which, uh, I mean, I've got this like pelican that's made of shells. A world in which this thing exists. <laughs> it's like one of my most prized possessions, too. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, you know, just be living. Just be mm-hmm. talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. And Open um, yourself up, you hermit. Yeah, and I think uh, Hank... I think Hank... Uh, yeah, I think, you know, seeing it from that lens, I think Hank does realize realize that um, at the end of the film, and he is beginning to opening up. But... In a in a way that is unique to him, not yeah. not like to conform, I suppose he's not like conforming to societal norms in that way. I mean, and yeah, uh, the fart is symbolic. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and it's. I think yeah, that's pretty clever. I would say it's pretty clever, and I, I do like that progression. Um, more so than the way that everything everywhere kind of meets its conclusion. Yeah. Um, but that's just my personal opinion well, on can the I way that this? both films end. What's that? I was gonna say, can I ask you this? Is did you prefer Swiss Army Man to um, Everything Everywhere? I uh, I don't know. I think I kind of like the both of them on the same level. Although I will say, I do. I prefer the humor in Everything Everywhere all at once over this one because to me, I think something that I was kind of losing steam for me was the humor in Swiss Army Man. Like, it was funny, each new thing that um, Manny could do. But then, as it got replayed, it just kind of got a little stale for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I like the way that they kind of they're playing with the absurdist aesthetic and, and absurdist nature of their their stories that they like to tell. And I know they have another film in between the two. I forget what it's called, but I don't know if that's like a documentary or like an actual narrative feature. Um, are you referring? I believe came out in twenty nineteen. I think it's just Daniel Scheinert's work but it's um the death of dick long yeah that one yeah 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 that's but yeah I'm that's about. that's right in the middle yeah i was just wondering if um if that was like because have you se- have you seen that or no i've not no oh okay 
Because, yeah, I don't know if that's, like, within the same vein as these two films. But it seems like no, just based off what the poster looks like. But I have no idea. Yeah. But either it, way, either way. Like, yeah. Um. But, yeah, either way, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of on the same level for me for both films. Although I, I do slightly prefer... Everything everywhere all at once due to the more I guess creative it gets and how more absurd it gets with some of the concepts and I do like the family the family drama aspect to it a lot more than than Swiss Army Man's kind of one two character character um study that it that it seems to be. Um mm-hmm. So I that's that's what I would say. Fair. I appreciate that. Yeah. I I think I prefer Swiss Army Man just because I think it feels a little bit more actionable. It's a little bit more I think it's a little bit more bite-sized. It's not more trite. It's not more I don't think it's more poignant. I just think it's a little bit easier. Because if they ha- if both films have the same philosophy, I think it's easier because you're right, the humor does get stale more in um, Swiss Army Man than it does in Everything Everywhere. But the, I think that it's easier to live as Hank does in Swiss Army Man than it is to live as the Wangs do in Everything Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Yeah. And just, like, the message sits well. Plus, like, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Daniel Radcliffe fan. I just like I just like seeing him in the movie, being <laughs> dead and all that good stuff. He was very good. He was very, yeah. very good in this film. Playing a dead guy and having to kind of be in that mode for the entire film. Well, and the I'm way that he uses good. his facial expressions... To portray a lot of his acting is is pretty impressive, and obviously Paul Dano. I mean, I love Paul Dano. He's great. He's goaded. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was. It was so weird to see him with that ragged haircut and the beard, and at the beginning <laughs> of the film, I was like, "Bro, what man? Man <laughs> is like gone." <laughs> And then he shaves himself with um, Manny's teeth, so that's that's pretty funny. Nice. But um, um, yeah. How wonderful! Is it list time? I think so. Unless you, I mean, do you have anything else to say? No, I feel I I feel as though I have articulated well. This evening, mm-hmm. this morning, this afternoon, this night. <laughs> gotta change, gotta change up your order just a little bit. Morning, morning, afternoon, night, night, afternoon, morning, night, morning, afternoon. Good, good. But yeah, I mean, I, I, lunchtime. sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. I, I, I'd say I enjoyed it. Um. Uh. Yeah, I I honestly I completely forgot that they directed this. 
when you when you uh, picked the film, I was just yeah. like, oh, what the sh- the Daniels did this? I had no idea. Um, and yeah, so that was like I get I didn't really know what I was expecting other than okay, Swiss Army Man. So I took that literally. I was like, okay, then whoever the Swiss Army Man is in the film, whether that be Daniel or Paul, would be able to do anything and have superpowers. And I mean, I know it says that in the synopsis, but like. That's kind of what I was expecting. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of, I got that. But also on top of that was like the philosophical aspect of, um, you know, Hank and his inner turmoil, his inner conflict with himself and dealing with um, his own feelings. And that, that made the film very, very good, I think. So. Oh, yeah. It's pretty solid. I would say it's pretty solid. Would agree. But I, I, I will have to say, though, and, yeah, the crudeness of the humor, and I don't I don't know, I'm not a really big fan of crude humor. <laughs> you know, I like, again, it was funny the first time, and then it just kind of, for me, it just kind of got stale as it, yeah, it kind of went on. Yeah, I get um, that. And you know, with the with everything everywhere, there's a little bit of that, just not as much, I think. With yeah. like the you know the crude the crude humor, I think the more they kind of get away from that, I think the better that aspect of their filmmaking will be. In my opinion, um, yeah. Because I, I mean, they're very talented directors, and they, they know what they're yeah. doing. They have a very clear vision for their films, and they have a very unique uh, v- approach and aesthetic to achieving that vision, and the way that they play around with, um, uh, ideas. Because it's like they're very imaginative. Their films are extremely imaginative. Some of the most, yeah imaginative films you'll watch so creative. Uh, i love it yeah and the way that they do it too like within live action it's not even on it's not even animated you know which is also very yeah. impressive um but yeah i'd say it's a very solid film oh yeah but that will take us into our uh, list for today, our five, our yeah. top five. Or I'm still working on like a title for this little segment that we're doing. But mm-hmm. oh, Swiss Army Man clocks in around 97 minutes. Uh, if you take it to without the credits and the opening titles and all that, it's about 90 minutes. But 97 minutes is way easier to kind of deal with than 90. So these are some of Tristan and I's top films. Uh, that are under 100 minutes. Bite-sized movies you could probably watch in, a, in an evening and not, you know, need to devote an entire day. Yeah. Um, do you want like to wanna go first? Or do, I, can, I have the list ready. So. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll let you begin, mostly because I know you're going to say some of the ones that I also mention. Okay. So okay. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so to begin... Well, first off, I I put ten films. Okay. Um, I know that's not the five, but there was a lot that I wanted to that I wanted to mention. 
other than just okay. five. So, um, and all these are ninety minutes or less. So wow. they kind of fit. They fit within the same parameters, or just the ten, like what ten minute difference? Like it's not a big deal. Yeah, not a not a massive deal breaker. But anyways, these are the ten that I that I added my list first off punishment park from english filmmaker documentarian specifically uh, peter watkins he is i think he's dead now may he rest in peace um i know he's still alive he's very old though but anyways punishment park came out in 1971 it is a pseudo documentary narrative film where it kind of blurs the line between documentary and fiction i mean what you see is all fiction but it seems very real it's kind of like cinema verite in in a way and this is kind of a thing that he does with a lot of his works um which i haven't seen anything other than this but this film i think is a masterpiece um, basically, I'm just going to give you the synopsis because I, I could talk about this film at, at length. But essentially, it's in this fictional documentary, U.S. prisons are at a capacity and President Nixon declares a state of emergency. All new prisoners, most of whom are connected to the anti-war movement, are now given the choice of jail time or spending three days in Punishment Park, where they will be hunted for sport by federal authorities. The prisoners invariably choose the latter option but learn that between the desert heat and the brutal police officers, their chances of survival are slim. So this is a very intense film, as you could probably guess, given the synopsis. But it's a brilliant, um, a brilliant dissection of American imperialism, um, racism, and police brutality, all thrown into one film that is, you know, not too long, only an hour and a half. And it's one of the best films I've seen in my life. It's a masterpiece, in my opinion. And I strongly suggest everyone go watch it because, yeah, it's great. Um, next one, I got Borat, the classic. <laughs> yes, I know you're probably shocked to hear that. I'm a little, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, I'm, ta- I'm talking about the first Borat, not the second one. Yeah. The second one's good, but the first one is just on a, a league of its own, dude. I mean... Sasha Baron Cohen and crew. Uh, dude, I mean, this is probably the funniest movie I've ever seen in my life. I have not laughed harder at anything other, other than this before. Um, there are so, so many, so many iconic moments um, that happen in this that I, I, you know, occasionally quote to this day. Um, it's it's for those that don't know, uh, which I'm sure most people know about Borat. I mean, it's a satire mockumentary film where Sasha Baron Cohen plays this guy from Kazakhstan, this journalist, and he goes during he goes into the deep south of America, and he basically reveals the underbelly um, of America, uh, which is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so good, and this is like po. This is like post. This is like during the Bush administration, so it's 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 
a political film as well, but it's great nonetheless. Amazing. Hilarious. Um, next one we got Before Sunset. Yeah. From Richard Linklater. The second film in the Before trilogy. Um, very short. It's 80 minutes, actually, not 90. Um, but yeah, I mean, masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, again, go watch the Before trilogy. I don't know what you've done. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. <laughs> just looking me. away because it seems like he hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Now, uh, you're talking to <laughs> You're not talking to me, right? <laughs> oh, move on, man. move on. Maybe I've seen. Maybe I've seen the next one. Uh, Lady Bird. Oh, I have seen that one. <laughs> yeah, Lady Bird. You've seen Lady Bird. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about that on the podcast a while ago. So, for more of our thoughts, go check it out. But that's one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, top ten all-time favorite film. I think top five actually. Um, next one I got Paths of Glory from Stanley Kubrick, um, Ooh, yeah. who I've mentioned to be my favorite filmmaker of all time and who I think is the greatest. Um, yeah, great anti-war film, one of the best anti-war films ever made. Uh, it's World War One, uh, so but it's brilliant. One of his earliest work too. I got Persona from fin- uh, Finnish Swedish. Filmmaking master Igmar Bergman. This film is crazy, <laughs> very confusing, very very confusing, but great. I need to rewatch it because yeah, it's insane, um, but brilliant. I mean, this film is like dense, like dense. Next one, I got Botra Traviel from Claire Denis, a French filmmaker, um, dissecting uh, masculinity. Um, and it's direct. I mean, Claire is a is a French woman filmmaker. Uh, this is considered to be her masterwork. Um, great film, amazing film. I got Perfect Blue from Satoshi Kon. A very visceral uh, film that dissects um, womanhood by you know through the use or through exploitation of um, uh, the commodification, I should say, of of women in the entertainment industry. So that, that film is very um, poignant and sharp and hard. Uh, not, uh, it's a little uncomfortable to watch. I got Grave of the Fireflies. Um, incredible anti-war film. Very depressing. So if you watch that, you're going to be depressed for a week. But it's great. <laughs> and then uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, I loved it from the moment I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's just great. I think it's Wes Anderson's best film. But yes, that's, that's, that's sorry. That's all. That's what I got. Dang. <laughs> okay. I, I, I originally, yeah, that was my, I originally said 90, under 90 minutes. But then I realized how few under 90 minute movies I'd seen and how many 90 some minute movies I'd seen. So I decided to uh, change the criteria. You you you're a little bit more. You've been a little bit better at logging your your stuff. And so you've got that kind of database on you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, there were some that I had that I was expecting you to say and you didn't, and some I wasn't expecting you to say and you did. Uh, <laughs> what a world. What a world. Uh, I will say, I did have, as my list kind of stands, I have an honorable mention for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, okay. Also because, like, I, I saw that when I was a kid and I really enjoyed it. Like, I, I love it still. It's really, still really, really a good movie. Like, honestly. Oh, yeah. um, in my five, I have, it's just kind of a personal favorite. Uh, it's called What If. It's 93 minutes. Oh, it's a Canadian movie. film uh, released in Canada under the title The F Word, released in America under the title What If. But it's Zoe Kazan and um, Daniel Radcliffe. Adam Driver's in the movie. Oh. This is the origin of the line. I just had sex and I'm about to eat nachos. This is the greatest moment of my life. Um, it, I love That's it great. because it's everything that a rom-com kind of is. And then it just kind of beats itself because it's not, I, I don't find it super predictable. And I do find it, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of the best uh, romantic movies that I've seen. Uh, and, I, and I think it's hysterical as well. And it's Canadian. Well, at least it's set in Canada. So thumbs up. Uh, in my four, I had Lady Bird. Uh, I didn't have La N in my rankings because I figured that you would say it. Wait. But it's 98 minutes. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't and have it so, there. Okay, okay, okay. And so I, I'm, putting it, I'm putting it there because right. uh, um, it, it deserves to be. And you already said Lady Bird. And I also really enjoyed Lady Bird. But also La N. So, bam. Uh, yeah, if, three, if my... I, yeah, okay, continue. No, 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 go, go, go. Sorry. You sure? <laughs> well, I was just no, going to say, okay. if, yeah, it's if my list was 100 minutes or less, my lion would have been there. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of figured. <laughs> I, yeah. I was expecting it, honestly. Like, I was like, I can't, I won't put that on because I know you would. Right. Uh, but I did 90 minutes, so. But yes, I continue. know you did. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> L for me, I guess. My bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Um, number three, Sanctuary. I saw that. I saw this one this year. Um, two people, 96 minutes. Uh, Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley. It's so good. It's a movie about love, about power, um, business. He is a, an heir to a hotel chain uh, fortune. He's like going to be a hotel magnate. And she is a dominatrix that he hires to um, make him better, I guess. And it kind of just, it's just this 90-minute power play of who's going to come out on top, who's going to get what they want. It's really cool because it's two people in one room. They don't even leave the floor until the very end. Like... I, I, I was just kind of blown away when I was watching it because it ultimately, it was kind of like a play on screen because you can't look away. And it's yeah. just these two people yeah. doing this intense 90-minute scene with each other, which I, I, I loved. Uh, my number two, 
I have Limoncita, another one I saw this year. Penelope Cruz, fantastic. It's a, a joint production between Spain and Italy uh, in which Penelope Cruz is dealing with her cheating husband and the fact that she feels out of place and that she doesn't belong in Italy uh, being Spanish and her eldest child um, who is... Uh, I, I guess... It's set in the seventies, transitioning from female to male, and and having that um, identity issue. That's that same sort of identity lost, not knowing who you are. And it's beautiful. It's like part musical. It's really so. I like. I was. I keep talking about it, which is probably why it's so high up on this list because it kind of just stuck yeah. with me so much. Like. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember you mentioned this in an episode that we did a long time ago. I remember you mentioned this film. It, I, I loved that movie. I, I thought it was incredible. Um, and then uh, my number one uh, is Fallen Angels from Wong Kar Wai. Yeah, um, let's go. It, that was just, it's so good. It's so yeah. perfect. And Fallen Angels. Episode twenty five of the Cinematic Odyssey. Our thoughts are down there, but yeah, yep. Tristan, why don't you tell him what's coming next? We got City of God from Brazilian filmmaker. Drumroll, please, because I'm pulling up his name because I forgot his name. Uh, <laughs> Fernando Meireles, 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 Meireles. I think. Although it's not a Y, it's double L. But double L in Spanish, at least, is Y. But it's Portuguese. But anyways, City of God. This is 2002. Um, It is a gangster film that has a... a, Oh, man. It is a tour de force. I've already seen it. And I saw it with a couple of my friends. Um, and uh, quite a while ago, and oh my god, Max, I don't know if you've seen it yet, I don't think you have. Nope, nope, but when you do watch it, oh man, you are not gonna be prepared for what you're going to watch. <laughs> this, this film, when I saw it, it was an instant. Like, instant favorite, instant, one of the greatest films I've seen in my life. Like, it was that good, that moving, such a unstoppable um, force of nature, what you see, because it's a very violent film. There's no holes barred. It it does not shy away from showing the, the reality and the truth of with all these all these people specifically kids cuz that's what the highlight is or is a bunch of kids living in the slums of Rio um during the 60s 70s 80s and and I think well I think 60s and 70s is more accurate but you you follow this one kid who's kind of like caught in between uh all this violence all these drugs and all all these things that are going down in uh, the slums of Rio, and he's trying to get out of that and escape from it. Um, 
and it's a beautiful story. Um, some of the best ch- child acting you'll watch. Um, and it is such... I don't know. It's hard. It's it's one of the best crime films ever. Like when you think of gangster films, you know, you think of Scorsese, right? Like he's kind yeah. of the first name that pops up. This has a lot of his influence. Um, but like the way that it's edited and directed, there's so much style to it. It's such a stylistically visually appealing film to watch and look at. Um, there's so much energy to it. And yeah, I mean, I can't wait to talk about it because this is one of this will at the end of the year, this will be my top. This will be the top four film best film I will see all year. Wow. Yeah, um, it's that good. Yeah, here we go. So I'm looking forward to it, to watching it again and uh, talking about it. Yeah, next week, City of God. This week, Swiss Army Man. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. All right. All right. Wow. Look at that. We have a film on offer next week. We're not surprising our listeners. <laughs> We're clickbaiting. Uh, I know. I know. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been the Cinematic Odyssey. Catch us next week for City of God. This has been uh, Swiss Army Man here on United to the Moose. Uh, Thank you and forever.